Wake up. We're alive. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I don't Victory know. Victory Monday. I was celebrating. Yeah. I was celebrating. Welcome to Victory Monday here. Wake up. Whatever you're typing, you, you got to type faster. I got zero sleep last night. I blame Elton John. Good night. Farewell, Yellow Brick Road. He's Zach. I'm Braden. We are celebrating a Victory Monday here as I'm tweeting that uh, to the audience. We are here live at the pharmacy, of course. And here's the deal. We have a lot to discuss because the Titans are two and two. There's reason to celebrate. There's yep. reason to drink beers. We have a heckler here for we you, do. Josh. We got Josh. we got Joe. Joe. I'm Zach, but that's Joe. And uh, we got a heckler, our first audience <laughs> member here. Here, and uh, we need more. We, we need more to come in every week. We may need a new host as well yes. to fill in for me uh, after this first few minutes of the show. We've got a lot to discuss today. A lot of SEC stuff we'll get to later on. Week number five. Questions about Georgia and Bama. Oh my God. Ooh. Questions about the top dogs in the SEC. Big state. Of Mississippi weekend, uh, Tennessee, LSU coming up. So learn some stuff about LSU. But largely, we're going to talk about the Titans win. They're now two and two. Lots of things to celebrate. Lots of questions to be answered. So a lot of good and a lot of bad on the show today about the Tennessee Titans. But largely a Victory Monday here at the pharmacy. And if you want to come by, I don't know where else you'd want to sit on Victory Monday in 70-degree light breeze, warm sunshine weather than at the pharmacy, beer, garden, and burger parlor right here on McFerrin Avenue in East Nashville. And with fantastic food. I mean, you you come in for lunch, you get you you get prescribed a beer, and then you're given get well soon gift of like burgers and tots and worse and <laughs> I mean it's just great. It's just great. So the, almost uh, like the, a real doctor's office. The Erdinger Oktoberfest right yes, here. Prost. In these uh cheers. In these uh massive glasses here that are I believe celebrating uh a beautiful fest. game on the bottom there, a little little soccer uh, as uh, Nashville. See, we won't talk about what they did in their in their home finale on, on Sunday night. Uh, but there's a lot to discuss here. Of course, we're also brought to you by the Kingston Group, Weisslickers as well. If you want to make a big decision about your house, don't until you talk to the Kingston Group and as well Weisslickers, Uber Eats, huge bourbon selection. Talk to the manager Andrew if you want to. This is the whole personal touch of locally owned businesses. They'll pick out your beer for here here at the pharmacy. They'll talk through your house problems at Kingston Group. And if you pop into White Slickers, talk to Andrew, the manager. He'll walk you through. Don't be intimidated by the wine list or the bourbon list. He'll he'll help you out. And then if you Uber Eats White Slickers, they'll send the booze right to your house. Because exactly they drive so you can drink. Wait, I think I think our heckler wants to comment. Yeah. You drink, they drive. <laughs> there you go. You drink, they drive. You drink, they drive. Uh, and basically, the Titans in the first half all drive. Second half all drinking. That's yes. basically what the Titans are doing. We'll get to that. Uh, however, can we celebrate for just a second? Because you tried to, you know digitally commit suicide a few weeks ago on the show. And I said, let's just hold off. They've won two games. They should, in theory, be three and one. They were one missed field goal away from being three and one right now. They've won four straight in Indianapolis. They're 11 and two in their last 13 in the division. They've won nine in a row on the road in the division. Derrick Henry's up over 100 yards for the first time this season. And they're tied for first place, technically, with the upstart Jags, recovering after an 0-2 start. What, are we... Are we Feeling the vibes here on a victory Monday? Well, I'm glad that the Colts suck and that the the Titans got to win, and they got to win in a sort of convincing fashion on the backs of the defense that played out of its mind with a mission. And we'll get to all that. And and I do like seeing Henry look closer to what he was. I'm I'm glad that we're getting a progression. I'm still hesitant to say that Henry is back like people want to do. Cause you know, you got to make the proclamation when one game Someone's goes gone. right, when one game goes right, everybody's got to make that proclamation. Last week it was a season is saved this week. Henry is for sure back. Everyone's always going somewhere. Yeah. Like Texas is going somewhere and now right. they're back. Henry has gone somewhere and now he's back. Or maybe like he just needed a little, st- he needed right. to get going a little bit. The offensive line played its best game. Like they played against the defense that, they play well against like, right. it, the Colts are not particularly good at football right now. Um, one, one of the quotes, I can't remember if it was Nehemiah, Nehemiah Hines or who was it after the game that basically was like, we are not protecting the football. We're not turning over the football. We're not playing good defense. We're not starting fast. We're not finishing fast. And I was like, that's all of the football things. Yeah. Well, Nehemiah Hines, he complained that, uh, you know, it's hard to win when you keep getting different quarterbacks. <laughs> that that was his comment. I don't know if you made the comment that you're referring to as no, well. I remember that one too, where he's he's I like, mean, I am always, even if the Titans were two and fourteen under, you know, Marcus and Ken Wisenhunt or whoever and all that shit that was going on, a win over the Colts is a win over the Colts. There's nothing that I'm ever gonna shit on about a win over the Colts, even if it's really ugly. Celebrate the win. But I, I think that 
do you feel great about the outlook of this team? No. Are you ecstatic that they fucking aren't as bad as the Colts and they made the Colts look even worse than they have been? Yes. Yes. And then made them look a little better at times, too. Uh, I guess I guess you can we'll say that it. if this game was against anyone other than the Colts, I'd probably poo-poo the winning okay, fair <laughs> a little bit more. Here's what's funny. I think it's it almost matters how you watch the game. Yeah. Like, if you came into the game in the final few minutes, you probably would say, oh, 24-17, they held on, the four-minute offense, Derrick Henry picked up the first down, great third down call to Chickaconqua, who got Aconqua, who got more involved in the offense this week. Which is something that we we'll said on that. the football show, and we yep. said on football and other F-words. I mean, obviously, they're listening. Yeah, clearly. But, but clearly. <laughs> they're only listening to select things. They have selective hearing on the coaching staff. We have a few segments for you coaches to listen to in just yes. a segment. In just a second. Um, but it's funny, like if you had come in at the end and saw the win, you'd be like, all right, two and two, a road win in the division against our hated rival. We continued the dominance of this team and they figured out a way to close them out 24, 17 with traditional Titans football, a big turnover on defense and a, and it's sort of a four minute offense on the other side of the ball, running the ball, using play action. Like you would have been like, all right, that's a great way to finish the game. If you came in at halftime, you would have sweated the entire second half and, continued to pull your hair out based on the metrics and the numbers about how this team is playing in the second half. And you'd be be like, what the hell are we doing? You'd still take the W, of course. And if you came in at the very beginning, like I'm assuming you and I did, where we watched the whole game, it's a little bit of both. It is still an extraordinary script <laughs> to start the game. Four consecutive opening drive touchdowns, all four games. They go up 24 to three. It is utter domination. The defense is forcing turnovers. And then the second half happens. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And, and so I, I think I think if I were giving out game balls, I'm giving game balls out to Derrick Henry, yep. Chico Conquu, and the entire defense. Maybe I should just say defensive line because I, maybe the entire run defense and the pass rush. <laughs> Let's leave coverage out the window, okay, I think, for, for now. But I, I think that if, if you really want to talk about this team, they did what a team like the Titans – we have said they shouldn't, they, they hardly ever do and something that they should do this year. And that was when you are, when you have a unit of your football team that outclasses and outmatches the opposing team's unit, you got to go out there and dominate. And this yep. Titans defense, I, I understand they gave up some big plays in the passing game and they had a hard time with the tight ends kind of look like same old Titans with the linebackers and just, getting destroyed by Mo, massive Mo Cox, slow Mo Alley I did Cox. think about you a lot every time Mo Alley Cox yeah. caught a pass. I, I like, thought about myself too a lot. <laughs> and um, you, you see all that, but at the end of the day, the Titans took away the best weapon. The Colts couldn't function. They continued the trend of Matt Ryan fumbles. They continued the trend of turnovers and not them not being able to move the ball. And Matt Ryan is just bad. He is just a bad quarterback. Why is it that you think he's the worst problem, though? Like, I do I, I did I know when did where did I say right there well, that I, he's I the worst I'm, problem? I, I'm I'm you technically did not, but I've read all your tweets too. Yeah, he's all terrible. Your, all your tweets are just throwing this entire. Like to me, the only reason they were in the game is Matt Ryan on offense. Well, that's just because you have garbage time points and stuff. It's not because you know when you're coming from behind and you're scoring points coming from behind, then yeah, your quarterback's okay. going to look pretty good. But it's a one score game. I, it's not because of Matt Ryan's arm. It's because okay. it's because the Titans left the tight ends wide open. Well, and I, I do want I do think there's an interesting point to be made in that because I think that's all strategic. The reason Matt Collins did what he did for the Raiders was because they chose to let him do that. Yeah, they said this is the matchup we want you. This is, it's very Belichickian actually with what Vrabel's done the last couple of weeks. We're going to take away Adams and Waller. This week it was we're going to take away Pittman and Taylor. And if you beat us with Mo Ali Cox, you beat us with Mo Ali Cox. But that was the same thing with Hollins, who almost did the job. But to me, it's about picking the weapon that you take away. Belichick does this better than anybody, and Vrabel did it in the last two weeks. And he said, we'll just let the other guys go. Especially, and I think this is the most important thing about the defense, five starters. Once Bud Dupree went out after two drives, five starters, premier starters, Landry, Dupree, Hooker, Cunningham, all these guys out, not playing yesterday. And we'll get to who played well and who didn't, but – you got to give the defense a lot of credit because they took advantage of all the things that the Colts are bad at. Yeah, and and one of them is they're bad at throwing the ball and they're bad at move, maneuvering in the pocket. Matt Ryan just can't do Matt Ryan things anymore. I mean, it doesn't. I'm not saying that he's the worst thing on their offense because I think that's technically the offensive line, cool. uh, which is very very bad, overpaid and overpaid. 
But also Matt Ryan is overpaid and very, very bad. It, it's like a 1A, 1B, 1-2 kind of situation where Matt Ryan's throwing out ducks out there left and right. He's got high arches and he's and he's fumbling like crazy. Even the fumbles if, are bad. Let me let me say something. Ryan Tannehill was under pressure all the time last year, and I don't think he has as many fumbles as what Matt Ryan has right now. That's got what eight, nine or ten. I, I want to say ten. He's nine now, but either way, it's well. A he fumbled lot. twice yesterday. He may have lost only nine, but I think he's fumbled <laughs> ten times, which is a bad thing for well, for your quarterback. Fumbles. That. And I, th- I think Jeffrey Simmons played well. I think Danico Autry played well. Obviously, I mean, obviously, Autry was a monster. Yeah, Autry was insane. I think uh, when he caused the fumble and Bud Dupree recovered it, I went to the sidelines and I said, "You know, Autry is just feeling himself right now, and he's oh, yeah. talking some mad shit to some Colts fans that may still be in the stadium." And he was point. he was a huge factor last week. I mean, yes. he, again, once they've lost the pieces, and here's the other thing: like Zach Cunningham is not a premier piece. But he's good. That's your boy. But he's good against the run. It's why he's in there on first and second down. I'd say career historically, he has been good against the run. I would say this year, I would I would waver on that claim. But I think it goes to shutting Jonathan Taylor down to forty two yards. The pressure on like you have your top two pass rushers on the roster at the start of the year are not there. You're still still able to pressure the quarterback. Your your starting linebacker who's there to stop the run. That is his job. Whether he's great at it or not, that's his job. Not available. Your backup, Monty Rice, not available. Landry and Dupree, we just mentioned, none of that's available, and you're still stopping the run. Your safety that is in the box safety when you need him to be, who also t- covers tight ends, which is probably right. part of the Mo Alley Cox problem, not on the field. Again, I think the defensive effort, considering the personnel, I think it was an exceptional effort. Now, I think this is the beauty of the NFL. Everything is sort of half and half. Mm. When you're good, it's half good and half the other team being bad. And this was a great performance by the Titans defense, but. I think you're about to say, consider the opponent. I, I I would say that I'm happy the Colts suck, but I'm sad that the Titans still do too. And 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 okay. the, here here's where I'm at with this. You could throw out, well, they're two and two, and they're only as good as their records, and a win's a win, and blah blah. I think how all you the get stuff I want to say, yeah, all the stuff you want to say that you told me beforehand you're going to say, which is a bad <laughs> strategic move on your part. <laughs> then I'm going to poo poo on because. You can say, well, they should have been three and one. Well, you know what? They played like shit and they don't deserve to be three and one. They don't deserve to win that Giants game because they played like shit and they coached like shit that game. So I'm sorry if and buts don't really matter to me at this stage in the season. It's great that they got to win. You, I'm not saying nobody can celebrate these wins. Celebrate these wins all you want. Just don't ostrich yourself and put your head in the sand. Ignore think- all this stiff stuff around because this is still a bad football team. And let me tell you something, a 50,000 simulation, a simulation that simulates the season 50,000 times knows that this is a bad football team. And I tend to agree with the simulation is that this is a is bad football team. I think there's a difference. I think, I think internet- it's a, I think it's a, I, I think it's a below average team compared to what it usually is. Like this is the worst okay. looking Vrabel team I've seen in a while that they're, they're doing penalties like, this whole the twelve men on the field, and then that's a bad one. And then the the whole mess the up at the end of the, are ba- the pre-snap stuff is bad. Yeah, it's just Very right now. This they're doing things that Vrabel has never done in his career, and I'm not uh, obviously I'm not saying for fire Vrabel because if you watched football on Sunday, Vrabel still top five co- head coach in the NFL because there was some terrible terrible football in head coaching, but. I do think that this is an off year for a Vrabel team. Like, do you really think that Tomlin's going to get fired this year because they're having a bad? The may he may see his first losing record. The first year Ben Roethlisberger retired. No, yeah, no. And and the same here. Do you th- really think if it's a seven and eight, eight and nine team, or sorry, seven and ten, eight and nine team? <laughs> It'll take some time for us yeah. to get used to that. Seven and ten, eight and nine team. They, do you really think that Vrabel should no. even be on the hot seat at all? No, of course not. But you can also say this is a terrible team. I see. I think. I guess I'm just I'm adverse to using like extreme terms because the internet puts everything in the world. Yeah. Into two categories. You're either a Hall of Famer, you're the goat, you're spectacular, or you just suck. Oh, you just suck. And that's yeah. Like- someone told me Russ cooked yesterday, and I said no, 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 sir. I watched Russ. He did not cook. No, there, but there, this is where I think most of the NFL lives in like the. 
really gray middle area of like some weekends you're better than average, some weekends you're average, some weekends you're below average. Very few teams are like atrocious, and very few teams are elite. Well, I will say and this: I, I have yet to see. Very much in the middle. I have yet to see an average performance. Now, if you take the first half and the second half and put them together, well, yeah, yeah, they are exactly yeah. average. If you totally wipe out the second <laughs> halves of every game, no, man, no, no. this is a great team. That's what I'm saying. If you include the second half, yeah, they're the best team in the NFL <laughs> in the first half and the worst team in the NFL in the second half. So, on average, they are the 16th best team in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess you're right there, but I mean I don't think the 16th best team is going to get you in the playoffs. And the not. 16th best team is not going to get you the win of the division, and that's what you got to get. So, t- rushing defense, real quickly here: 238 yards in week one, 101 yards in week two, 96 yards in week three, 38. So every single week getting better, even without some of the personnel. They finally won the turnover battle for the first time all season, three nothing. So I still think you can celebrate and enjoy some of the good. But there's also these things there's like the bad, where the though. air yards are going down. And I get that, you know, Taylor Lewan is gone. And Taylor Lewan wasn't that great in that first game. But you, they're going to be able to keep on loading the box and play close. Uh, the opposing defense are going to be able to play your offense a lot tighter because you're not stretching the field. The air yards are yeah, going down that. every it's, year. It's, it's so each week, Ryan Tannehill's attempted passes air yards has gone down. Yeah, 9.4, right? which was fourth best in week one. 8.7 was 10th best in week two. 6.7 in week three, 23rd best. And then right now, 4.3 is last out of qualified pass. Let me ask you a question about this, because mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of different factors, if I was guessing. As offensive why. line, I think, plays the most. Huge role, offensive line, knowing you got to be quicker with the ball, right? Like, that's, yeah. a, that's a big part of it. I think, the like, Traylon Burks m- missing some time with an injury and then also not being, like, fully ready to go. I think that they some of the personnel issues have also played a role in that. And then I think Ryan Tannehill is just knowing that he's got to go quicker, shorter, faster to make the offense go. Is that all what, what's happening, or do you think there's a strategic problem with what I, they're well, doing? I think I think there it's a it's I don't think it's a Ryan Tannehill issue. I think it's a play calling issue. I think that what this team has said today on Monday, Mike Vrabel said we had the be- the quarterback with the better passer rating. We didn't commit any t- turnovers. And uh, Derrick Henry, uh, we had the best running game. That's their recipe to success in their mind. You know what passer rating means? You don't have to throw the yards. So they don't want to throw the yards. You're talking about yak. Yeah, they don't want to throw the average depth of target. Because if you really look at it, you know how you combat the pressure problem for this team that they think that they have? Play action. And this week, they went back down to 37% in play action. And they actually only allowed on four pressures in play action and non-play action. They allowed eight. With with how many? About the same number. Well, of passes? About the same number. There's three passes in difference. Okay. So because he didn't pass a lot yesterday. No, he did not. Because they just relied okay. on Derrick Henry, which I think is all right. But you're not going to convince anybody. Well, if they picked up when the first you, down in the second half, they might have thrown more passes. But. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, why shy away from it? I think it's. The, this whole issue for me is is that they, there's just not a level of trust for anybody on this team that's not named Derrick Henry and Jeffrey Simmons at this point. Like, like I don't feel like they trust anybody on this team as much as they trust Derrick Henry, especially on offense. No, I, I think, and that, I and I think that's that says a lot about the GM, and I think this says a lot about the coaching staff in general. Uh, if you have any questions and comments, of course, make sure you check us out uh, in the YouTube, there, Facebook as well. Turn on all the notifications. Zach and Braden here on a football show live at the pharmacy, of course, every single Monday. That's two victory Mondays in a row. We do have a heckler, so if you hear anybody dog cussing out off the camera. Uh, well, so far, he's agreeing with me on everything. So so this far, is a great heckler. He's the best heckler of your life. Uh, we've got the, the Odinga Oktoberfest here, so come down and get some beers. They do a lot of specially locally sourced beers here at the pharmacy. Uh, they've got a bearded Irish Pilsner, a German Pils that, they'll, that they serve, of course, with all their fantastic burgers and bratwurst and tots and all kinds of stuff. So make sure you come on down. Again, it is freaking gorgeous today. Oh, it's great. It is a great time of year to be out here in the beer garden and the burger parlor. So come on down to the pharmacy, of course, also brought to you here on a football show by the Kingston Group and Weiss Liquors. Uh, again, building confidence in the first half, making you drink in the second half. That's right. The Kingston Group sponsoring the Titans first halves and Weiss Liquors sponsoring the Titans second halves. Um Offensive pieces, or you, or you want to go right to best and worst? Still? I think we could talk about all this because, okay, you know the Titans are the best and the worst sponsored by Pharmacy. Look at that because yeah. they have worse sausages. I even there. spelled it correctly like that. 
The um, he's very proud of himself. They are they are the best team in the first half. Best team in EPA. Best team that you know in efficiency and you know and all that kind of stuff. They are the worst team in efficiency and EPA in the second half. First to thirty second. I mean, it's it's wild. Not only that, they are the best by far. I mean, if you're looking at a graph, the Titans are way up here as far as and they are top by far the best team with when with scripted plays. Then the problem is while they're way up here, they're all the way over to the left of the graph, which is the worst team for <laughs> scripted for non scripted plays. plays. <laughs> this is, is a wild. Is remar- it's remarkable. It, dude. It's, it really is. It's it's wild. This is reminds me of like the third down defense of 2020, where the defense played really good up until the third down, yeah, just, and this yeah. offense plays really good up until halftime. And I think what you're looking at is a team that isn't making adjustments. They saw, well, this worked in the first half. Maybe the coaching staff on the other side didn't watch that first half and will not make any adjustments. (laughs) I don't. So I think that is the easiest and simplest and most obvious answer. If we want to peel that back a little bit and try to figure out like, why is that happening? I think it's very. Here's a couple of things that because I've been trying to figure it out too, and I, it's hard to explain other than just like, like you have to expect someone to adjust. So why aren't you preemptively adjusting yourself? Like that's like a lot of times you see an NFL team run a two yard gain, and you're like that was bad, but it's setting up the like that's right. setting up the next thing. And so, like clearly, what we can say definitively about this team is that they have people that are really good at designing plays. Like somebody on the staff, whoever that might be is really good at scheming, designing, scripting, and creating plays that are working with the personnel they wanted to, right? Right. Like, that's it's clear. They've scored on four straight opening drives. The first halves have been dominant in three of the four games, and frankly, they were with the Bills uh, up until the final minute, and Allen makes the crazy play. So we know that they're capable of it. We know that there's some personnel limitations. We know that there are multiple coaches in the in the kitchen, for lack of a better phrase. But we know somebody can do it. So is the right person in charge in the first half and then not in the second half? Are they switching? What, like, what is it that's happening between being so good at something and being so bad at something within 30 minutes of football? Feed, feed me all the conspiracy theories you want. If you want to say, like, I've seen people now say that Tim Kelly's calling plays in the first half and Todd Downing's calling plays in the second half. That's the easiest Yeah, one. I'm, I'm here for it. Which like, I, true, I don't believe it. I don't right. believe it. But, you know, I'll take any Todd Downing slander all day long. It's better <laughs> than, that's the only thing better than the Serdin Gabriel. Wow. Is, is Todd Downing slander. But <laughs> what I. You get way too I, much joy. Out I don't of think, slander. I don't think it's a playmaker issue. And see that that to me says a lot. You think talent, ability on the field? They're there, yeah, it's there because yeah. you see it dominate in the first half of a game, and they do dominate. You see that for whatever reason, the Colts decided they were going to double Cody Holler. That's yeah. by the way, I, I said you, that first. I know a lot of people tweeted it. I said I I recognized it first. I didn't put it out on. Well, I did put it out on Twitter. I said elite wide receiver decoy <laughs> Cody Hollister. Who, who beat you? You were her. Nope, no, nobody Herndon. beat me. I, I, I no. I did it, right, and then right, I told okay. Herndon, and okay. then Herndon and TD ball, and TD told Buck. So Herndon stole. I no, I had it first, okay. right there. It's in the tweet. Elite <laughs> wide receiver decoy, Cody Hollister, because it was utter. I saw what would happen that two defenders would after Cody Hollister let Robert Woods go. That over. was in the red zone, right? Yeah, that was a touchdown. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was the touchdown. Robert Woods wide open touchdown. So <laughs> hey, look, you can y'all can all get mad at Caleb Farley for leaving Stephon Diggs wide open, but let me say something. Yeah, the you just saw two defenders go and guard Cody Hollister. That's some bad coaching. So, so again, if we're saying it's not the playmakers, right? And we know for a fact that someone in the building can design plays well. I think there's some other flaws. I think there's some some specific plays that they're just stubborn about and not willing yes. to get out of. Yes, and maybe some Ryan Tannehill at the at the make making Tannehill had to have gotten out of that one. Uh, I think it was the opening play call in the second half. I'm the not bootleg. Mistaken. Is it the bootleg? Uh, well, first off, the boot, bootleg was bad, but it's the one that where uh, the very first run play in the second half, I think they yeah. there was like an 11 people in the box, and he just went ahead and <laughs> just ran it anyway. In the box. Yeah. Check out of it. You box. know, so I don't think it's the pass catch. What, what I'm saying is a lot of people think that the Titans have the, the worst wide receiver core in the league. I don't necessarily think that's the problem. 
I don't think the pass catchers are the problem. The talent and the ability of the pass catchers is the problem. I okay. think I think there's a level of predictability. I think that this team likes to play it safe, as seen by air yards, as seen by this and that. There's a lack of creativity that is missing. And and, and when I say that, I, I mean like, like not in the design though, right? Well, look like at what these clearly... other teams do when you watch other teams play. They devise plays in the second half that gets their team to try to score. It seems to me the Titans design plays or call plays hmm. to protect the lead because they care about passer rating. They care about the run game. Well, he is conservative as a yeah. Mike Vrabel will. I, I think that's the issues that everybody in the second half, like, well, we've seen now for three weeks. This is what the Colts thought. I can guarantee you. we've seen now for three weeks that this team is not going to change its philosophy. We saw it all last year. This team's not going to change its philosophy. So in the second half, we're going to adjust. They're not going to adjust. Yeah. And then there you go. It's, it's so impossible to get your head around how stark the differences are. Like you said, when you look at a chart and like they're way up in this, like I'm going to put my hand like way yeah. up here on the camera up here. It's like way up there. And I just, what, what boggles my mind is how, Again, I keep I can't get off of this and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but it is it is clear and obvious that they have the ability to design creative, interesting, nuanced plays that are unexpected that are called at the right time. Like again, Derrick Henry lead blocking. Like there was interesting stuff. It's not that they're not doing that. That's what's so like and again, is that all Tim Kelly? Is it all Todd? Well, I'll it, say I, I don't this. know who it is. O'Hare, I, I don't know. I think you say last week is a lot about player execution. Because even Vrabel came out and said pretty much all week was the message was our second half woes against the uh, Raiders was execution. That's pretty much his whole message. Today, a little different tone was it. He put a little blame on the coaching staff and a little blame on the players. You got to listen closely to what Vrabel says. Vrabel's given us hints. He's always given. He's given us hints about what he feels was that particular issue. The problem is is that if it's execution in one week and something totally different the other week and the previous two weeks is something different and something different those weeks, then you have an inherent flaw in your second-half approach somewhere. And that yeah. starts with Mike Vrabel in trying to snap the funk. I almost think that it's a mental issue at this point. So here, so I'm glad, it's interesting you brought that up because I think that's kind of what I heard between the lines from Vrabel was I think the – I think the press was kind of pushing him on this issue. And in the stadium, he of course wanted no part of it in the stadium. He's like, don't care. Shut the hell up. We got a W, which I'm, I'm fine with. If he wants to be yeah. to me, that what that indicates really again, read between the lines is that it's bothering him too. He's pissed off about it. He knows it's, but we also thing. know that he's been eyeing this Colts game for a while. Yes. You know, right after the bills game, he kind of let it slip yeah. that he was looking ahead and looking around the division, which he has never done. No, ever. no, no. And he rarely ever admits it. There's no question about yeah. that. But you take the W, no question, which is what he celebrated and why he was kind of feisty. on. And it's on for Sunday. the players, too. You don't want to get the players down right. at the right. day of the game. So I think you're right that there is an element of like, how does it, it, it gets into your head and then it kind of stays there and it kind of bounces around a little bit and you're trying to solve it. I think a lot of people in sports say that that's a player thing. Remember how we talked about yeah. Derrick Henry? Going back to Indianapolis, right? right? Like it's got to be a human element side of things where you're involved. Well, even Derrick Henry yesterday after the game. Yeah, made comments saying that he was pretty much pissed that they've only scored seven points in the last few games. So if that's a thing mentally that can affect a player, why would that also not be a thing that could mentally affect a coach? I, I think the coaches are trying to outcoach themselves. Right, they're in a slump. Right, so they're they're probably doing the worst thing when you're in a slump is just double down on the stuff that's not working. Well, it's worked before. So I, I know that I'm eventually going to get out of this slump. You know what it is? It reminds me of a poker player on tilt. It's not yeah. even a slump. It's like, we're so good. Oh, we've got to, we're, we're, we're ready for the other side of the roller coaster. So we've got to approach it. And we approach it like a scared chicken with your head. Yeah. Cut and off. everybody and was so awaiting bizarre. the second half disaster. I right. I mean, that's, what's crazy is that they, 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 they have a self-fulfilling prophecy going on right now. It's gotta be, again, if it can be in the head of a player, it can absolutely be in the head of a coach yeah. as well. So it's on everybody. And again, the comfort I take from it is that I, I know Vrabel works through things and solves problems. Let's hope he does it this time. It's got to, he's got to move a little bit quicker. I, I don't know what's going on, but they got to but move quicker. The thing I try to think of is like again, they're one kick away from three and one, and we know they are capable of designing interesting and successful and productive offenses that do the things that you've been preaching for the better part of eight months now. 
play action pass down the field on first down, like all the things explosive 11, plays explosive, keep going up. Right. Right. So it's not like they're not capable. Yeah. Like it's clear that they know how to do it. It's it's I think it's turned into a mental thing and it's not just players. It's and that's why I don't so. think it's a uh, playmaker issue. I tend to agree. I do think that if Traylon Bur- and we'll get to Burks in a little while, but I, so there's a bunch of stuff I want to get, well, let's to get into. Let's, let's okay. get into it. So, so let's, cause there's also other pieces coming back to the, like Burks, let's start with Burks and then we'll get to reinforcements. So let's yeah. go with Burks first. Yeah. I I'm pissed off with how that whole thing went down. Well, l- let me be very clear. Mike Vrabel shifted the entire blame to Traylon Burks. And first off, I don't think that's uh, the best way to do it. I don't think it's great to say that, well, I coached that, but I'm still going to let him do it. And if you coached it, why didn't the 10 other players in the huddle say anything to him? I, okay. Okay. I want to yeah, throw that no, out there because I'm saying everyone's to blame. I think Vrabel for not calling a timeout when clearly Cody Hollister was coming out and he was sent out because they no- recognized the injury. Yep. So they didn't call the timeout. They were like, well, I don't want to burn a timeout. Yeah, I mean, do you just want your player to ha- have his fucking foot fall off? I mean, where where does the concern for the player come in? I also blame Traylon Burks. It wasn't for like not a big go- player or anything coming up. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't, I blame Traylon Burks for not going down and getting the injury timeout. And I, and e- even if he was coached or not coached, you, by the Titans, doesn't matter. At some point in his long, illustrious football career, he has been told to go down with, and if you got an injury and you can't go, you you go down. So whether Vrabel has hammered that really home, I'm, I'm not to- totally buying that this is a, a coached thing. Yep. You know, this week, they, that's what they did. They coached you going down. I'm sure they are this week. But even if it was, then why didn't any of the 10 other players tell him to go down? They all had a point and chance to say, go down, Traylon. You are not doing well. You're no good to us. Now, let me, let, can we, let's like quickly set the scene on this okay. for those that did not see it. I want to say it was second and seven. This is when I, if we're thinking about the same play, I believe here, second and seven on the Indianapolis 31, 29 seconds to go. It's that little short crossing route to Traylon Burks. He kind of turns it up. He's dragged down from behind. They land on his ankle. He, he, he clearly hobbles back to the huddle. So the next snap is they take a timeout, timeout three with 19 seconds to go. That's third and one. That's is that after the play? So they had one timeout left when he could have gone down. My question is, it was a 10 second runoff, right? If he goes down for an injury? I, I'm not entirely sure, but the, the whole thing was is that everybody said that and even Vrabel said yesterday on the press conference. See, that's where I get a little confused on these rules because these rules are so different at different points in the game, it feels like. After outside but of Vrabel himself said that if he went down, we wouldn't have had to burn timeout. Okay. Okay, so, so. It's, it's, the clock stops. I think there's a 10 second runoff, but then you still have a timeout left. Right. So you can pick up the first down and then call your timeout and kick a field goal. You can, you can also do things like, you know, even if you were to call a timeout, you just lost one of your best players. Don't you think you need to call a different play that you guys didn't that's have my, prepared? That's my issue is you run a critical play with a piece that's clearly not a part of the play. Yeah. Like when you watched him hop off the line, it was with one leg. Yeah. And, and, and credit to the Colts, again, their defensive adjustments. They literally covered Traylon Burks like he was healthy. I was so odd. Like the stuff they did was so odd. But uh, thank you, Colts. Um, not a great football team. I, I don't. I don't get. First off, I don't get why Traylon Burks, by, by not only Mike Vrabel but a lot of the other people on Twitter, is taking the full brunt of this because there are other people involved. I, I do think it's like a. Yeah, three-way split between it's a clusterfuck. It's a, it's a clusterfuck, yeah. and it's a fiasco, and it's such so, so unlike There's kids everywhere here. Yeah, you got to be careful. It's so unlike <laughs> a Tennessee uh, Titans team under Mike Vrabel, too. Yeah, that's and then true. you saw that again. You saw another error again earlier in the year, or not earlier in the year, just earlier in that game with the whole uh, field goal fiasco, not yeah. knowing to spike the ball, and yeah. Tannehill saying, "Well, I don't know really what happened," which I don't think was saying that he didn't know what to do. He just think I think what he meant was I don't know what was going on. It was just a disaster. You're, I think your point is valid, which is, and I think obviously I think the injury is more significant than what actually happened in the play. The game they end up winning the game. Yes, it was a screw up on everybody's parts. I agree with you on that. My issue with what I think this embodies this one particular story, this one particular issue, it embodies a couple as you've pointed out already, a couple of other plays in the game 
where it feels very unvrabel. Yeah. It's just like and that's Vrabel, been the trend. Vrabel's the guy that knows that he can take the encroachment penalty because the clock is going to stop because he's going to get the ball back sooner when they're down by a score with less than two minutes to go in the game. Like Vrabel's the guy who is the master of the rule book. And that is why, and his teams have normally been that way. That is to me the concern here is that a bunch of when, when chaos is happening, generally Vrabel is in complete control of that right. moment. And that's not what happened on Sunday. It did not hurt them. Didn't cost him the game. He's just very, he's, and it cost him in the Giants game. Yes. But for the most part, he's been very lucky that these moments have not costed him even more because that's the thing. It's just, that's the thing I think is the easiest to correct are these non Vrabel like tendencies that his team's not prepared, his team's making penalties and dumb penalties. I think. You'll that work, is easier to correct. It. I think I, that I, will be easier to correct than anything else on this team. Not, you know, not protecting the quarterback, for example, is much right. harder to fix than... You know, with some, the turf toe, he's got the bye week coming up. So, obviously, Traylon Burke should not, shouldn't, shouldn't. Doesn't mean that he can't or the Titans won't put him in, even yeah. though I don't, I don't think the probability is that he will play this weekend. I think they can wait till the bye week for Traylon Burks. Well, and I think that is the smart way to do it, even if he's completely healthy this week or if he's 70% this week. Do not play Traylon Burks because a turf toe injury is the worst nagging injury you can have. Out, Maybe tied up there with a hamstring or something, but I think turf toe is just it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about reinforcements and the things that are coming to help this situation, coming to help the offense and the adjustments and the unbreakableness and all the things that you're talking about. And there's a lot of different ways we can look at that. Uh, some of that is injuries. Some of that is the bye week coming up, which, strangely enough, thank God it's early this year if you're a Titans fan. A lot of times people look at the bye week when the schedule comes out and they complain. Oh, that's week 13. Oh, that's week five. You just don't know when it's going to be valuable for any given team. A couple, last year it was valuable that it was late because so many dudes were hurt. It was valuable uh, when they got it all switched, swapped around for the COVID thing. Yeah, yes, exactly. Oh, man. So far, they've been very lucky. lucky with bye weeks. I think it's lucky this year that's yep. where they are. I mean, look at Bud Dupree and the situation he's in right now, Monty Hooker. I mean, again, he should go through protocol and be back. But again, the fact that you've got the commanders this week and then a bye week, it, it stops the bleeding. Right. So to speak. So I think reinforcements, that's one way of looking at reinforcements are coming. Right. I, and I totally agree because I think I also want to look at reinforcements this way, reinforcing your culture, reinforcing your playbook, reinforcing what works, what doesn't work can also happen during the bye week. These halftime adjustments can possibly be corrected in the bye week. The or the lack of halftime adjustments, I should say the the coverage issues could be designed better and be be put into better positions after the bye week. A lot of stuff can change at this early bye week for this team. And, and like you said, perfect time. Could not agree more because you got Ola Denny, you got Bud Dupree. Both guys, like you said, they need to be rested up. Elijah Molden is not playing this week, but now you're talking about him and Racing McMath are not going to be there this week and available. But now you're talking Elijah Molden, Racing McMath getting missing this game, coming back by a week. Then coming back yep. possibly that the yep. the following week, which is a boost because now you're only going to be one game without Traylon Burks, where Racing McMath would be really great to have. Now you don't have to make any rash moves, right? There's no rash moves for John Robinson to have to go out and make a free agency in the light of the Traylon Burks turf toe injury yep. because yep. they know that Racing McMath can probably be ready at least the week that they come back from by or the week after. They know Elijah Molden's going to be back. Monty Rice was practicing yesterday in pregame warm-ups. Not practicing, but pregame warm-ups. He was warming up. Yeah, which is a huge thing for the Titans to let a player do that's not on the verge of coming back. He's I think Vrabel even said like he's close. Yeah, he's and close so they expect today. Rice to kind of you know get some work in it's this good week. Lord, they, they need depth at that position. Yeah. Although, although, to be fair, Dylan Cole played pretty well in the yes. first half. So I, I, I do think that... The, the, the possible reinforcements in the bye week is coming at a great time. Like you said, I, I don't disagree with anything there. You know, the, the thing is the coaches have to use the bye week more than the players. They need the bye yeah, week yeah. more than the players, in my opinion. I agree with that. I want to float it one more time uh, or another angle on the reinforcements. And I think this speaks to watching one particular player on offense yesterday, which is Chigakonkwo. 
clearly what is happening is he is slowly but surely gaining the trust of the coaching staff, slowly but surely absorbing more of the offense and becoming more and more comfortable in those plays. And a, a rookie player who's maybe not ready in week one does things like catch a touchdown and a key third down conversion on a very few number of snaps. Right? How many snaps did he have on a, a five total I, yes, five. route snaps where Chig was running in routes, I think? I got that off of somebody's Twitter account at F words pod. I think is the Twitter account. You I'll get it for it you right here. Hold on. Um, and the point is, is that he is clearly. Yes. Five receiving, snaps. five receiving snaps. The rest were run blocks. So out of the five receiving snaps, one was a touchdown and one was the most. He, had three, the most he went three for three and five receiving snaps. So clearly he is gaining ground on playing time, reps, confidence, everything. That is also a part of the reinforcements coming, which is Kyle Phillips, which is Chig, which is right. Because no way he's talking about Kyle Phillips. Oh my guys. god, I can't. I, I will meant to write that down in my notes and haven't. Is that nobody talked about Kyle Phillips was active yesterday and was wasn't even used, and nobody's talking about the bye week coming out. Like when Traylon Burks goes down, nobody's talking about. Well, we're, maybe we'll have Kyle Phillips. Josh next Gordon. Week. Uh. Yeah, everybody went to Josh Gordon. Really. You're going to want, when Traylon Burks goes down, you want Kyle Phillips and Chico Conquo to step up. You do yeah. not want Josh Gordon on the field. You do not want Cody Hollister <laughs> on the field. Give it a rest. Jeff, Those are Jeff, just Jeff guys. Jeff Swain's a great pass blocker, though. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff and Jeff Swain, <laughs> zero, zero targets yesterday. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He only ran 10 routes yesterday. Thank you. <laughs> but I do think that's a part of it. Like, the bye week, the injuries, and youth developing – is a big part of how this offense could very much and the coaching staff having time to fix their problems. Right. You put all that together, and if you want to spin it in a positive way in the NFL, because this is what it is. It's half positive, half negative all the time. If you want to spin it in a positive way, it's that this offense could look very different in, let's say, five weeks. Yeah. And just real quick, let's talk about what the outlook looks like for the future, because right now, the Tennessee Titans don't have a great outlook, like I've been kind of saying this whole time. You're talking about they have a 35% chance to make the playoffs, but the bulk of that 35% comes on 26% chance that they are actually going to win division. That's how any team from the AFC South, because I said yesterday, no team in the AFC South should technically be allowed in the in the, <laughs> in the the uh, playoffs because they're, they're, whoever it is is going to lose in the first round. doesn't matter if it's Jaguars. Hey, hey, does not matter. Under 500 teams that have won divisions have won playoff games multiple times, I believe, yeah. right? Didn't Seattle do it? Yeah. And then Carolina did it? Yeah, you can believe. Were, I just refuse to believe. There's seven and nine teams have won playoff games. Yeah, they got a half percent chance to win the Super Bowl, which is a half percent more than I would give them. And then right now they have the 11th best odds at the number one overall pick and the 11th best odds to be at the top five pick. I'm just saying, right. I know that you want to say two and two and there's a bunch of teams at two and two, but the problem is when you look at the two and two teams, they are the, the bottom ones. of the two and two teams. Yeah. The other ones in the AFC are yeah. good. Again, there's only three teams in the AFC right now that have a better record than the Titans. I just look at the NFL as a, it is a 50, 50 proposition at all times. Like I look at everything as half negative, half positive. It is all your You're record. Just a constant fence rider. It, well, but that's you know what's what's strange about the NFL is that's what the NFL forces you to do because it, at the it'll make you pick a NFL, side, coward, right, NFL, Joe? <laughs> pick a side, Braden. The NFL makes you look stupid from week to week when you start going into the prognostication business. That's why I don't gamble on the NFL ever. That's why I only gamble on college football. Which we'll get to in a second. Well, oh, you want to do that? Yeah. Right now? I mean, I said what I need to say. Okay. You, Titans aren't you, doing well. The Titans are tied for first place, but not great. Yes. That's, I think that's fair. Uh, of course, we are here live at the pharmacy on this beautiful afternoon. Great for families. We got families back here hanging out. We got kids. You can get out. They got a great kids' menu. Come on by the beer garden and burger parlor on McFerrin Avenue in East Nashville. The pharmacy. Great place to take the kids. Great place to grab lunch. Great place uh, after work, happy hour. You want to do that? Come on by. It's a great place yeah, as for well. dinner. If you're dates. looking, if you're, I got the white shirt on here as well. Uh, Uber Eats. If you want to stock up on your tailgate, of course, which is not going to be for a couple of weeks. But if you are going to stock up, hit Weiss Liquors before and after the game. You can also do it at any point during the week. You can Uber Eats Weiss Liquors right to your door as well. Great bourbon selection. Very approachable manager. Andrew, say hi to Andrew for me. So check out the bourbon list there. Again, Uber Eats Weiss Liquors. They'll. They'll deliver the booze right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes, Zach. They'll drive so you can drink. There you have it. And, of course, the Kingston Group, buildkg.com is the website. 
major decisions about your house. My wife wants to build a pergola and like build a wall, half wall up in our bonus room so that we don't hear the kids' stupid movies anymore. Like, but will a half stuff. wall help that? I feel like well, you need to do a full wall. No, we've got a half. She wants it to be oh, a full wall oh, okay. with a doorway so gotcha. we can close the door and soundproof yeah. it. She wants to do all kinds of stuff. You know, there's master bathroom stuff that always needs to get done. Uh, and so you put all that together. You call the Kingston Group, have a conversation with them, and they will they will give you the advice that you need to know. Even if you don't use them, they're like, that's fine. Just give us a call and we'll help you out. I will say this. Maybe, even, they, maybe they know how to make adjustments. Even if you decide that oh, the Kingston Group gives you a great bid because they always give you a great bid on that kind of stuff, you can actually just you know sell your kids. Just get them out of there. Get them out sell of the house. your kids. Yeah, get them out of the house. There's families out there that What's are up? looking to adopt kids, and God, you can get rid of them. It's expensive to adopt a child as well. Yeah, but you... I'll give you a better you price. Get, you, yeah, you get I'll money. I'll give you a better price. I'll give you like 10. Get rid, of, get rid of the kids, and then you don't have to worry about all that ten, stuff. 10 grand for the five-year-old, like eight grand for the four-year-old. That's a pretty good deal. In this economy, great deal. <laughs> Come eat at the pharmacy, use Kingston Group on your home improvements, and buy your booze from Wise Liquors. There you go. Uh, you want to talk some college ball? Yeah. The SEC royalty are showing cracks, Braden. <laughs> it's and, your boys. And, and let, me say, boys. let me say, I will say Alabama looked much better. Even when Bryce Young went down, I thought the team looked much better. Now, it is against Arkansas, which I don't think is as ready to compete with Alabama as what we all kind of thought they, maybe they, they, they were. were. They were a 17-point underdog for a reason. Yeah, right. I, I think, to your point, Bryce Young goes down with the AC joint. It's not super serious. I guess this arm, AC joint. Uh, it's not super serious, but he is out. Jalen Milrose comes in, and they go on 21 points run in the fourth quarter. The key here for me is that Arkansas is a good football team. Not great, but they're, yeah. they're a good football team. And to use your backup quarterback for more than a half and to not only beat them on the road, but cover the 17-point spread with your backup quarterback is it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's pretty good uh, that's like a that that felt to me out of all the games Alabama's played this year, the most Saban esque game. The game that you know against all odds with their star quarterback going down, he just finds a way to win. He finds a way to win convincingly. Well, and and Arkansas went on the big run to make it like twenty eight twenty three. Yeah, it's a one score game at that point without your star quarterback and the right. Heisman Trophy winner. What are you going to do? And they. They did a great job. In fact, I would argue because of Georgia's struggles in Missouri, which is part of what we're going to talk about here, too, is that I think if you had to put someone at one, Georgia, Bama, or Ohio State, because they're still clearly the top three, I kind of think you have to go with Bama now because of the win against Arkansas on the road, covering a big spread with your backup quarterback. That feels well, like a bigger deal than right. what Ohio State did, and you have to have a real conversation about Georgia's struggles the last two weeks. I 100% agree on all those fronts, because it, you know the college football ranking is not about what you will be. It's about what you've done. And right now, I think Alabama, even with the close win at Texas and kind of struggles on offense here and there, they still have blown out a lot of teams, and they won against a good Arkansas team, in, in, in a way that you wouldn't have expected them to win. It was going to probably be a blowout either way. But now that you, when you put in the backup, like you say, now it makes things a lot more interesting, a lot more convincing that you could put some faith behind this Alabama team. See, well, see give, what a convincing gives, win does yes, for a team? You yes. can give you a little bit of confidence. Yes. And, and Jameer Gibbs, I thought, had one of his best games. I, uh, I, so. I think Gibbs, listen, I don't know what Gibbs, how Gibbs will translate into the NFL oh, necessarily. He's going to be very good. Uh, I'm probably a lot like how Brian Robinson was projected before he got shot. I, I don't know if he's going to be Derrick Henry. Oh, I think as, he's, I think you he's, know what I'm saying? Like maybe better than Najee Harris so far. I think it's just, his skill set is more of um, uh, whom it's not. It's he's more explosive than TJ Yeldon. He is. I don't think he's as good and as complete as Najee Harris. Yeah, but he is a more he's, he's Alvin Kamara to some degree. Okay, he, yeah, I, I he, would go with that. He's got some of that like open field versatility yeah. and burst that he's. I think he is a perfect modern NFL running back. As we watch Derrick Henry drop like three passes, right? I, I, I would agree with that. And so I think that when you're looking at this, I, f I feel like Gibbs should start creeping into the Heisman conversation if he hasn't already. But Georgia yeah. is has looked looked. Shown flaws against Kent State, and we kind of alluded to it. We yep. thought maybe it was just a fluke or whatever. And then this team did not look very good against Missouri. Missouri, yeah, it's bad. I, Missouri's defense showed you what it could do, what you could do when you harass this team and play really, really sound defense. The offense just wasn't that great for this for this Missouri team. No, they Georgia forced them to kick field goals like seven yeah. times or whatever. I, I think what's interesting, they, they, some turnovers against Kent State, they looked 
lethargic in that game. Alabama struggles on the road against Texas. Okay, they fall from one to two. Ohio State struggles against Notre Dame in week one at home. Okay, those are two good teams, right? Texas, top 25 team, Notre Dame, pretty good defense. Either way, Ohio State pulls away. This is different. Missouri is not good. Right. So for Missouri. Kent State's technically not good, right? (laughs) Well, Kent State's a really good offense. Yeah. And so they, for them to have scored on a few drives is, is, is not crazy. It, it wouldn't be a concern if it wasn't followed up by this performance right. from Georgia. And to your point, it's how Missouri attacked Georgia. It was attack, 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 pressure, 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 aggressive, aggressive in the middle of the field. And they take away what Georgia wants to do, which is run off tackle, run off tackle, short passing game. They forced Bennett down the field, which he was, he wasn't as good at to start. He got better. It was, it was interesting how Missouri just like felt like they had to just sell out every time and it worked for like three quarters and then Stetson Bennett murdered them in the, in the final yeah. quarter, which I think is to be expected based on the talent gap and how good Georgia is. I'm curious if this is a Georgia team that is good enough to be undefeated at the end of the year because they don't play a particularly terrible schedule or tough schedule, but that when they get into a playoff situation, let's say number one, Ohio state, number four, Georgia, that it's going to be very similar to the Florida State team. And my good friend Stephen Lassen raised this point, so I want to give him credit for it. Um, remember Florida State 2013 went undefeated, yeah. destroyed everybody by like 42 points a game. That was Jameis Winston. And then a bunch of dudes went to the NFL. Well, Florida State came back in 2014, for those that don't know, and they went undefeated again, but they did it by like three points a game. They barely beat people. They got into the playoff, and Oregon and Marcus Mariota destroyed him in the playoff game in the very first year. This there's some it feels sort of like you lost 15 guys to the NFL. You're still really, really good. You're still probably going to win a lot of games, but you're just probably not good enough to beat the the, the team in right. the moment. Well, and that's why I've said all offseason, right? I said at some point losing 15 guys has to catch up with you as a as an NFL team. And and I look at it this way, whoever the top four is in the college football playoffs, at this moment, if you were to put in the top four, I would say I feel comfortable laying money on no one. The most comfortable I would be putting money on Alabama to win it all, but I don't know if I'd lay money on anyone because I think it's a complete toss-up. And I'm telling you, I told you in the offseason, Joe, Tennessee's going to be Georgia. Tennessee's going to be Georgia. There you go. I'm feeling it. (laughs) I'm feeling it right now. You know what's crazy is I think Tennessee could beat Alabama. Oh, yeah, I think so, And then Alabama beats Georgia, and Georgia's knocked out. Yeah. You know, it's what's interesting is I still think – after a struggle for Georgia or two, a struggle for Bama, and and a couple of questions about Ohio State, not as many, I still think it's those three versus the field, and yeah. I still think those three are cut above everybody else. And I think all you but if you're to- if you're deciding between those three, who would win in the, in the playoffs? See, here's the maybe problem. Ohio State. I almost would put money on Ohio. I, I don't know. See, I think it's, it's, it's I the think most toss up and wide open the college football playoffs has been, in my opinion. Bama is the smart play right now today let's yeah. see how because bama's got a&m this week who they'll murder and then yeah. they gotta they gotta go to tennessee and i can't wait yeah, it's gonna be a great game georgia meanwhile is vandy auburn and florida which right now is not all that scary they but that's then, it but gets, then you, we said that about missouri but then it gets weird here for georgia then it's tennessee at mississippi state and at kentucky yeah and those three ironically not auburn and florida yeah georgia's not worried about auburn and florida they're worried about Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Kentucky. Those three are the tricky ones. So if it's meant to be, they're going to get through all of that, and they're going to play Bama. They both be 12-0. I also could see everybody losing. Yeah. I'm not sure about Ohio State, but I think Alabama and Georgia could lose a game and be one-loss teams in the SEC title game. And if that happens, then we're not getting two. Only one's going. I still would pick that team in yeah. any matchup with any other team in America. So we're talking about these top three right. and cutting splitting hairs here. So Well, congrats to the state of Mississippi. First off, con- thank you to Mississippi State and those annoying cowbells. They went out when the Texas A&M overall boys, wherever they're called, <laughs> were uh, you know doing their thing. They wouldn't let Mississippi State fans in at that little stadium. They do their little hoorahs and all that kind of stuff. And so the Mississippi State fans <laughs> heckled them by doing cow cowbells the whole time. I like it. I love it. And then they went and they're they trounced them. They're a good football team. They trounced them. And Jimbo Fisher... Is is so lucky to have gotten paid ninety five million dollars at this point, guaranteed. guaranteed. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And at this and at this point, and I kind of feel this way about LSU. And I know it's a bizarre win, and we'll, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. I just feel like neither of these teams are where they're really supposed to be at. And I know that LSU's record says or, otherwise, oh, but LSU, yeah, LSU and Texas A and M. Okay, 
But congrats to Mississippi State. Yeah, let's, let's and focus listen, on the positive and, and congrats to Ole Miss for allowing Will Levis to, to beat himself. See, this is where you and I are going to disagree. Because I think there were some mistakes Will Levis made. He held onto the football too long. Well, I, he's single-handedly why they lost me in the game. He see, I I think I I think it was targeting, and then he made the mistake on the snapping the ball too soon. I think Ole Miss was lucky to win. I think they played great. Here, this is where I think this is Ole like, Miss's defense. I for me that yes. was my takeaway from that game was how they, great Ole Miss's defense looked. Way better than we expected. Yeah. no question. You're absolutely right about that. The Ole Miss defense played a great game. They were way better than we thought. But the things we we knew about Kentucky offensive line questions. Huge question. It is still going to be a huge question. It's going to be a question the entire season. Chris Rodriguez back. The running game was better. Mm -hmm. But that was a targeting call in theory when Will Levis fumbled the football going into score to win the game. Then they he throws the touchdown pass to win the game, but because the receiver wasn't set, which you could blame Levis and the receiver at the same time, much like the Burke situation, it, that's a touchdown that wins the game. So really, Kentucky should have won the game, but it doesn't take anything away from the job that Ole Miss did. The defense was great. I think that is a good, close, Kentucky-covered, Ole Miss wins outright at home. That is a really good, even matchup between two top 15 teams. I don't think they're great in elite teams, but I think they're two really good teams, and I would watch that game over again. Yeah, anytime. I thought it was the best game of the weekend. I loved Ole Miss's running attack, but, man, their defense just just really stood out the whole time I was I watching agree. it. They really stood out the whole time. And, and Barry and Brown, yeah. that dude can play for Kentucky, the, the freshman return guy. He yeah. also made a bunch of, bunch of screen passes, took him. Into big plays, he's a really nice player. Kentucky's still pretty good, guys. And, and Will and Will Rogers had a, a phenomenal weekend, yeah. I thought, and yeah. he was one of Manning's top players of the week. Peyton Manning's top players of the week, which I thought was also well deserved for him. Um, the key with Mississippi State here is the holistic win against A and M, where the special teams gets involved, yeah. defense gets involved, offenses. They could not pressure him. Will Rogers was not under any pressure, and he just slung, slung it all around. Yeah. Mississippi State's a good football team. Ole Miss is a good football team i still think mississippi state's a little bit better but the way ole miss played this weekend has me rethinking that and i think they're about the same i think they're all top 15 and it speaks to the quality and the depth of the sec just right real now. quick because we're running short on time will levis is he an is he a a a nfl top tier quarterback in this year's draft like for based on merit and skill not based on the number of quarterbacks that may be, a, yeah. be available. So I am torn on this because what you hear behind the scenes about Will Levis is how much every single coach and teammate loves him, how coachable he is, how hard he works, how the arm is obvious, the talent is there, the athletic, the build, the yeah. size, it's all like he checks kind of every box. And right now he's not getting any offensive line help. So it's hard to judge. But this when you season. are going to a bad team, guess what? You're probably not. No, gonna I know. Have. And but but he also wins games. He's played in two NFL systems with NFL coaches. So I think my point is I'm making the case why scouts are going to like him, right? Yeah. Like scouts are going to like all this stuff about Will Levis. You've got to pull the trigger. He held the football too long, and so we we talk about Tannehill with the offensive line and. Hendon Hooker, like if you know you're going to be under pressure and your offensive line is a problem, you can't be stuck in the pocket holding the football. Yeah. And he did that a little too much against Ole Miss. So if you're going to point to a problem. And in very crucial moments, he did that That's where too. I thought he – and then again, and then the fumble at the end was on him. Yeah. Because he just stood in the pocket and you, you got to get rid of the football. So I, I – Anthony Richardson's in that conversation. CJ Stroud's in that conversation. Bryce Young is in that conversation. There's a bunch of other guys that could work their way into that. Maybe Hendon Hooker's in that conversation. I don't know. I'm starting to get the feeling that – it's not going to be like last year where they all fall to the third round, but I'm starting to get the feeling that there's going to be like eight quarterbacks taken in the second round. Yeah. <laughs> like two in the first, Bryce and CJ, and then everyone's going to be in between like 25 and 40. Right. And so if the Titans are picking in the middle of the second round, that could be, uh, you know. I've, I've said all along, Will Levis stands in the pocket too long. He, uh, and then, um, and he <laughs> turns over the, he, he hands the ball off a lot. Perfect for the Titans system. For the Titans system. Uh, we'll have to talk about LSU and UT on, on Friday, but it is, we are going to go deep and heavy on why this LSU team is overrated. It's a little weird right now. Yeah. And I think weird. they're a weird team and I, their team I have zero faith in. And I have all the faith in you, too. We'll talk do, about that on Thursday. I do trust uh, Tennessee right now. We will talk a lot about that game on Thursday. I'll spend the majority of our time on that game. 11 a.m. kickoff in Baton Rouge. Huge victory already for Tennessee. Yes. That it wasn't a night game. 
Uh, but man, with Bama the next week and the off week, a lot of pressure on Tennessee to go down there and play well. So we'll do a lot of SEC talk. We'll preview the Titans Commanders game on Thursday as well. We are here at the pharmacy for a victory Monday. So look, we know there's problems with the second half for the Titans. We know there's issues, but enjoy the win. Celebrate the win while you got it. And no better way to celebrate the win than Uber eats beer and booze to your house and then come out to the pharmacy and eat some burgers. Although that would be, maybe you should do the other way around. Maybe you should come here and eat. Yeah, come here, first. eat, put some food on your stomach, then go get drunk. Go home and have the booze delivered waiting for you at yeah, the house. Yeah, there you go. Uber Eats, Search Weiss Liquors. Of course, the Kingston Group as well, our great sponsor. All three of these sponsors, by the way, on this show, locally, locally owned. owned and operated. Trust the people who live in this market to take care of the community. That's the Kingston Group for anything you need with your house. That is Weiss Liquors, all your booze needs. And, of course, the pharmacy over here, this beautiful, amazing place we are sitting. Special thanks to our man Joe for coming out and hanging out. He didn't say as many things as he did during our fantasy draft, but <laughs> you, oh, you have to sign. Yeah, you have He's, to sign for it. It's okay, listen. If you're gonna correct me next time, don't come out at all. Okay. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> right. I would have let you correct it. No, we love you, Joe. And uh, special thanks for all you guys listening. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show, turn on all the notifications, all that great stuff. Where can people find you, Zach? You can find, find me on Twitter at FWordsPod. Uh, on Wednesdays, football and other FWords. We're going to be talking about a little bit about, and thanks to Joe for bringing this up, about what could have been with John Robinson's first-round picks had he actually oh, been God. good in the first round. Are you intentionally trying to ruin people's... Oh, this is what Joe once talked about. I listen to the people. That's true. You do listen to the people. I just uh, berate them in, in public. Yeah. It's, it's a bad strategy. I listen part. to our audience. <laughs> it's a poor strategy. Guy. Man on the ground. Uh, all right. He is Zach I am Brain. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Thank you guys for listening, of course. Congrats to the Titans on a win. You got a big week of SEC football coming up. So we'll be back on Thursday again. That's 1 p.m. Mondays and Thursdays right here on a football show. Thanks for hanging out with every thanks for hanging out with us everybody. We'll talk to you again on Thursday this. It's been a football show. <laughs>